right, one more week of Chicago Cubs baseball and two more series wins as we turn the calendar into September here on Behind the Yellow Line. Jeremy's here. Randall is here. We're talking Cubs baseball tonight. Uh, guys, Cubs take two out of three from Milwaukee at Wrigley Field. It was really an exciting thing here because you split the first two games, you get to game three, and you're looking at this. We move into September either three games out of first place or five games out of first place. Cubs win a thriller three to two at Wrigley Field, setting the tone for tonight's podcast. Great series, great atmosphere out at Wrigley. I was there on Wednesday. Uh, loved it. Great day game uh, to be there. And yeah, you know, it's nice for once. It feels like maybe the Cubs can be that team to chase down the Brewers instead of the reverse uh, situation we've seen the last few years. So yeah, uh, excellent pitching, by the way. But yeah, it's it's awesome. Once again, coming on to the podcast with good vibes and coming off a win. That That's always my favorite thing to do. That two-game swing that resulted in winning the series, that's big. You've got a full month ahead of you. You've got some reinforcements coming, and it, it's going to be a very exciting month of September, I hope. I don't want to jinx anything, but I hope it's going to be a very exciting month of September. Yeah, it's where we want them to be, right in the thick of things here as we shift into the month of September. We'll talk about the Brewers series, talk about the Pirates series, a big four-game set in Cincinnati this weekend, kicking off 11 straight games against teams trying for a playoff spot. So important stretch of baseball here. We've got September call-ups. We've got waiver wire moves. Just so much to get to here on the show. But I do want to start with a quick congratulations to our buddy Mike Vanderharst, Dr. Emily Gagan, Uh, three of us. We're out in Groton, Connecticut over the weekend celebrating their wedding. It was an awesome time. Great to have the full crew together. Got some pictures up on the Twitter account. I know that Stan wanted to see that. Some of the other folks that uh, check out the account. But it was a good time. And again, congrats, Mike and Emily. Very fun time. Always good to get the crew back out there. You were out there in Connecticut, right on the water on the Long Island Sound for a nice, mm-hmm. beautiful, picturesque wedding. Yeah, congratulations to Mike and Emily. And, you know, it was good. We are all together, really, for the first time in a while, at least, you know, a handful of months at least. So it was good to, you know, get those juices flowing, that we all get those those nice, you know, friendly uh, exchanges going. And uh, we had a, I had a great time with you guys. I don't know how you guys felt, but I had a great time. <laughs> I had an awful time. No, I'm just kidding. Uh I'll echo the congratulations, uh, of course, to Mike and Emily, a beautiful wedding, beautiful setting, beautiful building. And it was a good time out there in Connecticut. Got to experience the combo convenience store, liquor store, pizza and sandwich shop all in one convenient building. And uh, I don't know if that's a Connecticut thing, but uh, one stop shopping. Yeah. Uh, we also worked some baseball into the trip as we have to do. Jeremy and I noting the double uh, A ballpark there in Hartford, Connecticut, where we flew in. That's the ballpark of the Yard Goats, the double A affiliate of the Colorado Rockies. So that was kind of cool to see that ballpark. Uh, and then driving to the rehearsal the day before the wedding, we're in the car. You know, this is something our folks don't know about our co host here, Randall J. Sanders. When Randall J. Sanders is in the car, there is no audio to be played, no music, no. Ball games, no sound. I wasn't having that. I was in the backseat. Jeremy was riding shotgun. So initially, we had, what, some classic rock going. And then I thought, there's got to be some baseball that we can find. And for the 20-minute drive or so, I thought it was fun listening to some Boston Red Sox baseball there on the AM radio. That's how you do it when you're on a trip out to the East Coast. Picked up the WEEI. Probably not fun for the Red Sox, though. They were uh, getting their you know butts handed to them by the Los Angeles Dodgers. We're playing pretty well on Mookie Betts' return, but we got to hear some Sean McDonough, some John Castiglione, you know, some 
it's it's always fun to hear rival kind of broadcast be somewhere else under under, understand experience like what baseball is in a different part of the world because we all have our own idiosyncrasies uh, our clubs our teams and just how do boston red sox fans experience it how do you experience it when you're on uh in eastern connecticut southeast or southeastern connecticut yeah that's right and uh you know that that could be red sox country over there yeah you know i was i was a little curious about that coming in whether it was more Yankees country, more Red Sox country, you know, Long Island Sound. As I learned, the wedding venue was just across the water from Long Island, New York, which I assume is, you know, Yankees territory or Mets territory. So I was a little curious about that, too. But uh, as I learned going through the the Providence Airport and being around there, it is, I guess, more Red Sox country than Yankees country. That's always interesting. Dropping into a different territory, seeing what that's like. Yeah, there. So got some live Red Sox, W-E-E-I, on the rental car radio. And, of course, we were keeping tabs on Chicago Cubs baseball. The Cubs, at that point, in the midst of a four-game set in Pittsburgh, they split the first two, and you're going, well, you got to at least split the four-game set here, but you want more out of that road tri- uh, out of that road trip that started in Detroit and then ended in Pittsburgh. Huge offensive efforts for the Cubs on Saturday and Sunday. A couple of games, 10 runs in each of those games, and then you come home taking three out of four from Pittsburgh. I think the big takeaway from that stretch of baseball is, after the Toronto set where the Cubs played the White Sox, the Royals, the Tigers, the Pirates, Cubs go 8-4 and four in that stretch. Can't really be frustrated with that type of a turnout against sort of these lower-tier teams that they were playing at the end of August. You know, I would have loved one, maybe two more wins in that stretch really cement it. But taking two out of three against the Brewers, I think that offsets it a little bit. If they had gone 9-3 and three in that stretch and only won one game against the Brewers, we said, okay, you know, they, they stayed afloat as much as they needed to. So I think it, I think it offsets out and I think they did everything they needed to do ultimately in that stretch of five series, four against not very good teams. And then one against the Brewers who I don't think are very good, but their record demands, I at least acknowledge differently, even though I won't. I I think they did everything they had to do. I think that, I mean, yeah, we all would have liked to have seen them win every game that they played. But as I, as I said, going into it, like, just keep winning series. Just keep stacking wins. Like if you win two out of every three games, you're going to get to 90 wins by the end of the season. Um, and that, and that's how you're going to do it. And then to go into Pittsburgh, they won three out of four uh, in Pittsburgh. So yeah, I mean, yeah, those are, those are series you have to win and they did win them. They won all of them. Yeah. Would have been nice to get a sweep or two. Of course, definitely. But I, I don't look, you know, I'm not going to regret not winning a, uh, a series because uh, the winning baseball games is tough in Major League Baseball. We see it all the time. Yeah, even the Pittsburgh Pirates are able to come back, you know, from an 8-1 deficit, and, and you got to put them out. And these are Major League uh, teams. So anytime you can go in there, you, you go on an 8-4 and four trip, that that is a substantial winning percentage. You're you're on pace to win a lot of games. So I, I don't – I. I think that is perfect. They Cubs took care of business, did what they needed to do, and then they came home and took care of more business by beating the Brewers. Yeah, well, it didn't start on a good note, right? Monday night at Wrigley, the Cubs lose 6-2. to two. Christian Yelich opens up the ball game, knocking it out of the park, and you're going, oh, no, this could be a real tough week. you got to keep in mind the Cubs are chasing Milwaukee, and that game Monday was the first of the final six games this year between the teams, three at Wrigley and then three uh, up at Old Miller Park there to wrap up the season. So you need a a bounce-back performance Tuesday night. Not much offensively. The Cubs score just one run, but Justin Steele, man, pitching like an ace, six shutout innings, eight strikeouts. What an awesome moment there. For Justin Steele, uh, pitching like a guy who deserves to be at the top of the starting rotation. 
you know, if the Cubs do make the playoffs, when the Cubs do make the playoffs, you get low scoring games against good pitching staffs, good offenses. That's how you draw it up is six shutout from your starter. Your designated setup guys go seven, eight, and then your closer goes out there and pitches the ninth inning. That's how you draw up a tough, close win in a big game. And, you know, you'd like it to be a little less suspenseful, but that's the blueprint. And they did it. And what a what a great game that was to even up the series and put the Cubs in a position to win the series. They, you know, after that first game on Friday, you're, you're thinking, uh, excuse me, Monday, you're thinking that, you know, Jameson Tyone kind of blew up in the first inning. There were some issues there. You're, you got Burns and Woodruff going the next two days. Like you're thinking this might go to a bad place, right? In this series against the Brewers, but for them to come out on, on Tuesday and Justin Steele to put up the work he did, which was not easy work for him because it was tough. He the Brewers were falling off a lot of pitches. He had a very high pitch count. Uh, it, it was almost kind of remarkable. He was able to get through six innings. He took that one screamer off the leg, which I knew there was no way Justin Steele was coming out of that game. I, I never even entertained it for a second that he was coming out of that game. He was going to, pitching that game as long as he could go. But yeah, we've talked about, I think Ronan, you mentioned it a little bit last week about Justin Steele has never pitched this much ever in his lifetime. He's never thrown this much as a professional. This is going to be an in- interesting time for him. You know, this kind of push into uh, October uh, with this last month of September, seeing him having to throw and and gas up a little bit uh, this many pitches that, that he, through what 108 pitches uh yesterday uh, excuse me on Tuesday uh that's a lot for a guy like him who's never thrown as much so I am a little concerned going down the stretch not that maybe he's just running out of gas whatever um but yeah he fought it he battled it and eight strikeouts uh against the Brewers was was fantastic uh he got some help with the win we all we all saw that each of the last two days there's been some balls that were hit up there but what what a performance by Justin Steele! Just putting you on the back. They got that one run in the first inning, and then Justin Steele went to work, and the and the bullpen did its job as well. One hundred and eleven pitches for Justin Steele pitches. in that start. That's a career high. Something we brought up in the last edition is Justin Steele's ever increasing innings load, which is already a career high. Something I did not know is that last season, of course, Justin Steele was shut down early due to injury. He was healthy though prior to the end of the season. What I did not realize is that once he was healthy, they he was still deactivated, but they were still having him throw a more regular workload. He was still throwing bullpens uh, every few days. They were ramping him up for what they anticipated would be a big increase in innings this year, even with him being shut down early to start last season. That's something I did not know until I read it this season. And it's great foresight. It's, I think, great work on the part of the coaching staff and the pitching coach. And hopefully that's something that's going to continue serving Justin well, because they're going to need him down the stretch. Uh, They're going to need him big time. You know, you don't want him to falter. He can't falter if this team is going to make any noise. So you hope that serves him well. It's great foresight. I agree with you, Randall, and you're getting him to work there. But the one thing you can't replicate is like those types of stressful uh, innings that Justin Steele was pitching yesterday and will probably pitch, excuse me, Tuesday, will probably pitch on into the season. Like uh, it's a little different when you're throwing, you know, a, a bullpen session to when you got like first and third and, and one out or whatever the situation was in the first inning that he had to wiggle his way out of against there and throwing a lot of pitches, guys following off pitches, trying to get a put away pitch like these are these were some stressful early innings that he had. He seemed like he towards the end, he kind of found his 
um, you know, composure or not composure is the wrong word, but like it, it got in the zone a little bit towards the end with those big strikeouts. But he was throwing some stressful pitches, uh, some stressful innings. So hopefully, like he's able to continue doing that as the season goes on. Mm-hmm. Maybe the unsung hero too in the win on Tuesday because there wasn't much offense. Just Cody Bellinger with an RBI in the first inning, the only run of the ball game. The Cubs bullpen. Lighter Jr., Merriweather, Adbert go three scoreless. We saw the same three guys Wednesday, and even though they did give up the lead late before, again, Cody Bellinger saves the day for the Cubs, it seems like the Cubs have locked into some guys here at the back end of that bullpen. Adbert has been phenomenal as the closer, and we saw Kyle Hendricks just raving about him in the postgame press conference yesterday, saying what a relief it is to the pitching staff that you got a guy like that. When you turn the ball game over to him, it's over, and he's been rock solid. One thing that stands out to me about Adbert is just how efficient he can be. He faced, if I'm not mistaken, five batters in the game yesterday, and he threw 16 pitches. We've seen very good Cubs closers who need 16 pitches to get through a batter and a half. Uh, So the efficiency is what makes him such a great closer, because even in these multi-inning stints, he's still relatively fresh. I think he was a little bit gassed coming back out for the ninth yesterday but again the i'm stating the very obvious here the fewer pitches you can throw the better just because that makes you more efficient on back-to-back days but i'm just awed by how quickly he's able to get through some of these batters and like you said he's been just lights out at that back end of the bullpen and i don't know what more you can say he's come sort of out of nowhere to be this lockdown closer you always love having a lockdown closer but i think it's more fun when it's a guy who comes out of nowhere a guy you've tracked for a long time in the system it just makes it more sweet yeah he's a guy who you know the cubs have developed a little bit we didn't know what his role would be they try him as a starter he seems like almost a completely different pitcher than the guy that they had when they first called him up and he's just taken over that closure position. I was a little frustrated at the game yesterday. I thought, you know, there was some nibbling going on with some of our bullpen guys. Like that wind was blowing in, especially from left field. The wind was blowing in so hard. Nobody was hitting the ball out yesterday. Like there were a couple walks. I'm like, just, just three, one count, just throw it over the middle. Like, I don't think anybody's hitting it out. If he hits it, more power to him. I, I was a little frustrated with some, you know, walks that were going on at the end of that game. But yeah, the the Cubs came in. They did their job uh, each of the two nights. I've been very impressed by Julian Merriweather. I, I, he's got great mm-hmm. stuff. And I think he just realized, you know, when you could throw 100 miles per hour, it doesn't really matter. Just throw it down the middle. They can't hit it, to be honest. And if you could just throw it anywhere, because I think like he's a guy in the past probably tried to nibble a little bit. You have great stuff. They can't hit it. So just throw it down there. Jeremy, I got to ask, were you nibbling up in 320R during the end of that ballgame last day? I was not. Well, I might have been nibbling on my fingernails, you know, because I was getting a little nervous, but I was not nibbling on any food. I can tell you that much. Uh, I did all my pregame food, uh, got in the mood, got everything out, and then I just sat there and watched that ball game for pretty much straight. Didn't leave my seat, just watched a baseball game. I had a great time. It was a fantastic pre-game, game to watch. Pregame food in the ballpark or around the ballpark? In the ballpark. I went, ballpark. I got the, I was in 320R. So in the upper deck, there's a little, you know, a uh, couple stands behind there uh, that are, uh, you know, outside of the ballpark kind of, uh, but in the upper deck. And I went I got myself a little uh, hot dog with some grilled onions on it and uh, Diet Coke. And I ate my food about 1245 before the game and watched the baseball game. Yeah, ready to go then for 120. Uh, one other reliever I want to talk about before we move on. Last time we were saying, boy, we missed Keegan Thompson. Next thing we know, Keegan Thompson is back with the Cubs. Two shutout innings, five strikeouts. Welcome back, Keegan Thompson. 
what a great wedding present for Mike and Emily. He closed that game out as people were uh, arriving to the ceremony. A little little bit of a, a wedding present there. Uh, two innings. He struck out five in those two innings. It is only the Pirates. You know, we didn't see him in the Brewers series because it was a uh, tighter games. I don't think Ross is quite ready to put him back in the circle of trust just yet. But yeah, what a great return for Keegan Thompson. Like you said, we were just talking about him last week, just talking about how big of a part of the bullpen we expected him to be it has not played out that way but if he can come back and be effective what a boost that is down the stretch of course i didn't get to see any of keegan's uh performance as we mentioned randall just mentioned we were all arriving to this wedding but from yeah from the reports it sounded like he was pretty good five strikeouts was extremely impressive uh for a guy like keegan thompson a guy who i personally have worried about in the past because he never really seemed like he really had strikeout stuff and didn't have the ability to put guys away which is something in my opinion you really need coming out of the bullpen but it's something the cubs have often lacked over the last few years and so to see him come out and do that uh to me is very impressive and and for him to get the call up i'm assuming the cubs believe in what he's doing and has been doing. So perhaps they found something that's working for him because he was all up and down. You know, he, he, we worried about him in spring training, but he made the team anyways. Then he kind of got off to a decent start and then it just kind of fell apart uh, through May. He blew that game kind of in Houston. Um, but uh, yeah, for him to come back kind of off the radar, it seemed like that he was off there, but the Cubs obviously were tracking him. I mean, it's their job to track him and coach him and develop him. But uh for him to come back, get those five strikeouts, we'll see where he ends up. But it's always nice to have another arm in the bullpen. Much needed day off for the Cubs here today. The day that we record this August 31st, it comes on the heels of a 13-game stretch of baseball without a day off. And after the off day today, 14 consecutive baseball games, starting with a doubleheader in Cincinnati. That's part of a four-game set. 11 of these 14 games are against teams fighting for playoff spots the Reds, the Giants, the Diamondbacks, and then the final three, the back end of this trip here, Denver, Colorado. The Rockies aren't good, but tough to end a long road trip in a place like Denver in a ballpark like Coors Field. So needless to say, a pivotal stretch of baseball for the Cubs here over the next 10 days or so. It starts with the four in Cincinnati, and it starts with roster expansion. The Cubs have made some moves. They've added a pitcher. They've added a batter. I want to start with the batter here. 23-year-old Alexander Canario gets the call up here. Randall, we were questioning, okay, is this the call for PCA? No, Canario gets the call. Yeah, I'm excited to see Alexander Canario. He came back from a just a terrible injury in the offseason playing winter ball. Ankle injury and shoulder injury all in one. He double dipped there. He came back from that injury, put up an 870 OPS in Iowa this season. We know he's got tremendous power. I think the strikeouts are going to be a part of it. Um, I do think he's more capable in the field. They like him in all three outfield positions, probably more of a corner guy, but he can play center. So a little more than they seem to trust Morrell in the field right now. But I think this is a really great bat to come up. I think you're going to see a lot of shuttling up and down, especially with the Iowa season going later than it has in years past. So I think PCA is still coming, but Canario uh, was already occupying a 40-man spot, so you didn't need to do a whole lot there. You've still got a spot open, and it's really exciting to see this young player who arrived with the Cubs in a, a marquee deal two years ago. It's exciting to see him up for the first time. I think it makes sense. I think he fits what the Cubs kind of need, what they kind of lack a little bit. Uh, you get some right-handed power, which they obviously do have in wisdom and, and morale. 
but uh, those guys can't really play the field at all, as Randall mentioned. Like Canario, you could probably see playing in the outfield spot that you're not going to see Christopher Morell in. So I, I think he, he fits in there. Like there could be situations late in games coming up where maybe there's a left hander in who's facing Talkman or Ian Happ or somebody, which maybe even for Ian Happ, like you probably wouldn't have taken him out of the game. Uh, with Morell on the bench because you don't have a guy to play the field, but now if you've got to play the field, maybe you do see a Canario pinch hit uh, against a lefty for like a guy like Ian Happ who struggled so much from the right side or for a, a Mike Talkman who's probably not going to hit lefties. So I, I, I think it's an interesting guy to bring up. I think he makes sense. He's been killing the ball lately. Uh, he's got, an, I believe, a 954 OPS in his last 30 games in Iowa. Just been on fire. He got he got, he got off to a little bit of a slow start as he was rehabbing. He came back, as Randall mentioned, from just awful injuries. Uh, the offseason, we were worried about whether or not he'd play at all this season, right? And now he's going to be here in the major leagues in September. So I, I, it's remarkable to see. I'm very happy for him. I'm excited. Uh, obviously, a big acquisition, getting him from Chris Bryant from San Francisco. And just to go him up and do his thing. And I think he's going to get a lot of opportunities. I think there's going to be spots for him that he's going to fit into this lineup and, and play in games. And I think he's going to be out there a lot, a good amount. Well, what I'm most excited about with him is just the raw power, right? I mean, when this guy hits home runs, it's not going to be right into the basket. It's going to be 400-plus feet out on a wavelength and things like that. That's what I'm looking forward to, those big blasts. I've seen Cubs fans here the last few days saying, oh, kind of like a Jorge Soler type of a player. I've seen comps to Nelson Velasquez. Of course, I hope the ceiling's a little bit higher than there. But I think the we're going to have some odd home runs, and I think this weekend in Cincinnati is a perfect place to start. Jorge Soler made his MLB debut in Cincinnati. He homered in his first game, his first at-bat. I don't want to put that kind of expectations on Canario just because he may not necessarily start, although with the doubleheader, there's a good chance he gets in there. But it's a good place to make your major league debut as any kind of hitter, much less a power hitter. That's a, it's a good landing spot. Darwin Castro made his debut there, and he had a home run as well. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, And he had a huge game. Uh, when he was there at Cincinnati. But yeah, I agree with you. You know, that if there's a spot where a guy's going to hit some home runs uh, in the NL Central, uh, Cincinnati is that spot. And to see Canario get an opportunity to hit some bombs there, because as Ronan said, he don't he don't hit cheapies. He hits yeah. real home runs when he and hits so, them. They stay hit. Exactly. And so I, I'm excited to see him. I'm excited for Canario. I, I, I really like this move. I'm very happy about it. And I think he's going to get a role on this team. As I said, I think we're going to really see him play um you know maybe not starting or so much but i think we're really going to see him out there uh in opportunities ross is going to use him a lot you know i was thinking about the roster today and and the three of us for the most part we consider ourselves baseball purists i think all three of us were sort of like ah we don't want the designated hitter in the national league the pitchers bat the national league that's the way baseball was formed well looking at this cubs roster right now what a blessing it is that they've got the dh to leverage here it's definitely given extra guys at bats and allows the team to have a bit more creativity and who goes out there every day. Definitely. I, I was actually for the DH by the time we got around to it because to me, after a while, I was like pitchers hitting. Ooh, it's so brutal. But of course, on the other end, it's like you always liked him when the pitcher spot came up. It was like, okay, that's an easy out. Like we can get through it. But I agree with you. Like you have teams have so much more flexibility now with the DH. They can put so many more guys out there. I was not in a hurry to get it out the door, but I was excited about the prospects of it allowing 
more flexibility in a lineup. So I wasn't in any hurry to see it leave, but I, once it was gone, I accepted it. And this is, this is where it gets us is an extra lineup spot where you can use young hitters like that. You can have them in certain roles. So again, I wasn't, I wasn't uh, rushing it out the door, but now that it's gone, I, I think it makes for uh, more versatile baseball. How interesting is it too here going into the, the home stretch? And I, I'm still of the belief we're going to see PCA. Randall, you said that a few minutes ago. I think Jeremy is on board that we'll probably see him at Wrigley Field this year. But we're a couple of years removed from the World Series, the dismantling of the World Series team, and two pivotal guys that could be affecting this next Cubs playoff run are guys the Cubs back got you know, got back from trades for World Series heroes. PCA, of course, for uh, Javi, and then the Chris Bryant trade, which brings uh, the new Cubs player into the, the system here now. So it's just sort of interesting, right? Like time moves on. Credit to Jed Hoyer for bringing back these high-caliber players for giving up some World Series heroes. But clearly there's been sort of a passing of the torch here in the Cubs organization, and now we're on the cusp of a couple of young guys ready to do some cool things. Yeah, you know, we've seen players from the the trades that season filter up. We saw Dykeman pretty quickly. We've seen Palencia. You know, now we're starting to see Canario. We're going to see PCA soon. The the Some of the biggest names to have come over in those trades are finally starting to filter their way up to MLB. And it's very exciting because these are players that were touted when they were acquired. And it's exciting to see them make their way to the major league level. Cause that's the goal, isn't it? Like, yeah, maybe you can take these players and flip them again for major league pieces, but you went to the trouble of scouting these players. You went to the trouble of acquiring these players. It's exciting to see them perform in your system. And it's exciting to see them perform well enough to eventually make their way to your MLB roster. So it, it's like a return on an investment you emotionally invested in these players that were sent out these players that you came that came in you kind of like okay you better be worth it and so far in the minors they have and now it's time to prove it right it's what you want i mean when you make those moves you want to get guys that are going to contribute in some way whether it would be flipping them or you know make it to the major leagues and, and contribute and we've seen that now in this chris bryant trade uh both guys have made it to the majors caleb killen is obviously not stuck really around in the majors. He struggled a little bit, but he's still up and down in, in uh, Iowa trying to make it work. He had uh, some issues in Miami earlier this year when he got his opportunity to try again uh, this season. But now we're seeing Canario and Canario only 23 years old. And he's got an opportunity to make a case to stay uh, in this organization, stay on this team, be a part of the next great kind of Cubs core, which hopefully starts now in September. Uh, and he's going to be here. And so I'm excited for it. And, and, you know, everything that he went through this offseason, having to rehab, having to work his way back, having to make it this far, I, he's not a guy I'm going to doubt. I'm going to put my faith in him. And I, I'm, as I said, I'm excited to see him hit some bombs. I want to see him go out there and, and just crank some balls. I know he's going to strike out. He's going to strike out a lot. We're all going to be frustrated with it. But he's going to hit some bombs while he's doing it. And that's what I'm excited to see. The other move the Cubs made addressing pitching, and they got the doubleheader Friday, so not a bad idea to reinforce some arms here. Shane Green, a 34-year-old veteran right-hander, comes up from Iowa. This guy's only been in the Cubs system since the end of June, but Jeremy, he's pitched really well in Iowa. How excited are you that Shane Green gets the call? I don't know if I would say I'm excited for Shane Green to get the call, but I understand the move, and I understand why they're doing it, and it makes sense to me, and we'll see what he has, right? Uh they need some arms with 
you you mentioned they got 14 straight games. They got a doubleheader this week uh tomorrow, uh four games in three days this weekend. They're gonna need some guys to cover some arms. And they had Shane Green, who last started a game in 2016, good year for the Cubs, but they've been stretching him out since they, they got him back, and he's he's performed pretty well. So yeah, let's see what Shane Green has. In the past, he's had some success in the majors, mostly out of the bullpen. But I don't expect him to, you know, go six, seven innings deep. If we if he can cover four or five innings, not really keep the Cubs in the game, I would consider that a success. I don't necessarily know if he's going to be like long for this club in terms of like, I don't think he's going to be there. I could see, I think we might uh, shuffle through that kind of pitching spot a little bit, but right now he's the guy and he's the guy to give us some uh, innings because we need innings. And so, yeah, I, 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 I would like to see what he has and maybe he comes out there and he does what he did in his last start in AAA and throws five shutouts. So let's go Shane Green. Yeah, you know, it's a maybe an unexpected move, but with Wicks uh, having to come up a little earlier than you would have liked, and I know we'll we'll get to him in just a few minutes. Green is kind of that next man up. And yeah, this is a former all-star closer, and the Cubs have stretched him out at Iowa this season, and the results have been positive. And like Jeremy said, you're going to need innings in a doubleheader tomorrow. I think his performance tomorrow is probably going to determine his roster status. I think if he holds his own, maybe he sticks around. And if he does not hold his own, well, that's a free roster spot you've got to use. But you are going to need the innings. He's been effective at Iowa, and you might as well. Just hope it goes better than uh, the Jaime Garcia experiment, if we all remember that, or we may have just pushed it out of our minds. And if you did i don't blame you so yeah uh with wicks up uh, green was that next name and good luck to him tomorrow well we mentioned pete crow armstrong uh who else do you think is in the mix here to get to wrigley field over the next month uh, so, of course, Tommy Birch, the fine Des Moines Register reporter who covers the Iowa Cubs. PCA is still in that mix. And then he lists Matt Mervis, who, of course, is still on the 40 man, which helps. And then a guy I've touted, Jonathan Perlaza, uh, again, probably mostly a DH, can play a little bit of corner outfielder outfield for you, maybe. But he's got great extra base power. He's still in that mix. And left handed reliever Luke Little, who pitched, uh, I believe, for the second consecutive night tonight and the results were good two strikeouts and a ground out he's a lefty he throws hard he throws mid 90s that's the kind of guy you can always use in a bullpen so i would imagine according to tommy birch he's still in that mix as well those are some very fun names names that i would want to see on the mlb roster i've been talking up Jonathan perlaza all second half and if any or all of those guys i don't think all those guys will be up with the roster limits but if any of those guys comes up i think that'll be fun yeah, I, I think Luke Little is a guy that we probably will see up. I think he will probably come up at some point. Um, I Like I said, I, I think I could see Shane Green at some point going back down or another pitcher going back down because bullpen spots we turn you turn through all the time. Uh, and I think Luke Little will be up. I think he's a guy I remember when they drafted. He was just kind of a guy who showed out with a high fastball coming from nowhere. He's a huge guy. He's like six foot eight. He's gigantic. Ironic. And yes, ironic, uh, but he's kind of put it all together lately. And, you know, when you're that big of a guy, it's hard to keep your mechanics consistent because uh, you start getting all over the place. But he's he's shown that a lot more. And so I think that he's a guy who will be up at some point this year. And uh, another guy, I, I think that depending on whether or not he's healthy, we'll see is Ben Brown. I think Ben Brown, hmm. if he could be healthy, which they're saying he's starting to come back a little bit, um, he. I think he has an opportunity to make it. He probably would already have been in the majors had he not gotten hurt. So I think Ben Brown has that opportunity to come back. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I do expect PCA to be up at some point. I, I do think he brings you some things that you don't necessarily have on the roster in terms of speed, 
defense, those types of things. So I do think he would come up, but you know, Jed Hoyer said September 1st, there's no mat is not a magical date. There's nothing magical about September 1st. Like we don't have to call a guy. It doesn't mean you're ready just because it's September 1st. They want to see his development come. They, he doesn't quite have a spot in the roster right now because it's, you're not going to play him every day. You're not going to sit Talkman and you're not going to sit Bellinger certain times. And he's left-handed. It's kind of the same situation that Mervis is in, which is why I don't think Mervis actually, I don't, I would be surprised if Mervis ever comes back up this season because I just don't see a role for him necessarily on the team, especially being left-handed. Um, so I, I think at some point they'll find a way to get PC out there and because they want to give him more development time. And when the AAA season ends, they'll probably call him up. But I, I, I think PCA comes up. I think Luke Little comes up. Those are the two other names, I think, from that list that are going to make it. Yeah, Jeremy, the comments from Jed and from Carter Hawkins about how September 1st is not the magical date, that did jump out to me, especially because, as I said, the minor league season goes later this year than it has in years past. The Iowa Cubs don't play their final game of the season till all the way on Sunday, September 24th. They still play basically the entire month of September. You still have a functioning minor league team down there that guys can be sent down to, and you know if enough time elapses, brought back for whatever reason you need. So I think you're going to see uh, some shuttling back and forth with certain guys. And yeah, I want to, I want to see PCA out there. I'm going to be a little disappointed if the season ends and we haven't seen PCA, if only because I think if they do need a playoff roster, he can be such a, a, a dangerous weapon to have at the end of the bench. So I'd like to see PCA. That's kind of my one remaining desire. And to clarify a point from a week ago, too, all of these players that you've mentioned have been in the Cubs system this year prior to September 1st, so they would all be eligible for a postseason roster. You can replace a guy on the 60-day IL. So I said very confidently last week that the guy had to be on the active roster by the end of August. I got zero pushback from my co-hosts and then a little bit more digging and found out that that wasn't necessarily the case. There's some added paperwork the Cubs have to do. You have to file for a petition for Major League Baseball, but... It's basically a, a done deal at that point. So all of these guys, whether it's Little, whether it's, um, I guess it wouldn't apply to Mervis, but PCA or some of these other names that we're mentioning here could appear in the next month here and then also be eligible for the postseason roster. Uh, and I love the fact that it's September 1st and we're talking earnestly about a postseason roster. I love it too. As I said, we're all going to get frustrated down the stretch. There's going to be games we're pissed at, right? But the fact that we're in this position to be in a playoff push – a lot of people did not expect that at the beginning of this year. You know, a lot of people did not expect this in June. We were very disappointed in early July. So the fact that we're here, just, you know, enjoy every minute of it. Enjoy the ride yeah. because we didn't expect it. And I I, I, I anticipate good things. I think good things are going to happen. And it's going to be an exciting time to be a Cubs fan. Well, we'll talk waivers here in a minute and the impact that it has on the Cubs, a big swing in the miss from the Cubs and who they wanted to get and some rivals adding some players. But Jeremy Randall said, we got to talk Jordan Wicks and he's right. Makes his big league debut, gives up a home run to the first batter and then settles in nicely. Five innings, nine strikeouts. Welcome to the big leagues, Jordan Wicks. Amazing. Welcome to the big leagues, Jordan Wicks. Not just gives up a home run to the first batter, puts the next two guys on, starts the fourth guy two and oh. And Tommy Hadovy's like, all right, I got to take control of this situation. I don't know what Tommy Hadovy said, but he went out there, 2-0 count, talked to Jordan Wicks. 
Jordan Wicks struck out the next three batters he faced and then was just lights out the rest of the game. Nine Ks and five innings. Jordan Wicks did his job that night. Some of the other guys didn't quite do their job. Cubs still won the ball game uh, after going up big, uh, but they gave they let him come back in. But uh, yeah, what a night for Jordan Wicks uh, to start off that slow, to have that issue. I'm sure there are a lot of thoughts running through his head, through his family's head that was watching the game that kept showing. And then to come back and just punch out, punch out, punch out and just dominate, just looking so good. Like, I don't know if you could ask for necessarily a better start. Yeah, you don't want to give up a leadoff home runs, but what he did, that's a phenomenal job. So congrats, Jordan Wicks. Yeah, what a great night. And for Jeremy coming in clutch, streaming the game on his phone as we were sitting there at the, the bar restaurant the, the night before. Jeremy's like a, Jeremy's like our own personal MLB game day, except he doesn't operate in the colored dots. Uh, Tommy Hadovy is uh, the pitcher whisperer. He knows how to reboot a guy, reset him. That's one of the things you do as a pitching coach. You can go back to Jordan Wicks being drafted. And the, the word on Jordan Wicks was the changeup. That was the big weapon. That was the best pitch. And these are some great stats compiled by Andy Martinez, who is the beat reporter for Marquee. He threw the, the changeup 27 times against the Pirates. He got nine swings and misses on it. He got two called strikes on it. He got two fouls on it. And it landed in the strike zone only 11% of the time. So he's getting them to chase the changeup. And he got five of those nine strikeouts on the changeup. So the word on Jordan Wicks was always the changeup that was his best pitch. And it showed out in his MLB debut. He was phenomenal. And it's really fun to see a guy that the Cubs drafted in the first round, a pitcher, come up and make a start because they've struggled so much in developing pitching lately. And there have been a couple – I mean, Alex Lang is in Detroit that they trade a first-rounder pick that they traded away to Detroit, and he's been coming out of the bullpen. He's had moderate success. But to see a guy like that, a Jordan Wicks, come up and start and be dominant, uh, I, I'll say. I know it's the Pirates. We talk about the Pirates, but whatever. As I say, they're all major league players. Um, It's – it's fun to watch. It's fun to see, start to see some of these guys that we've, you know, kind of hyped up a little bit, come up and contribute to a team that's making a playoff push. As we said, it's, it's fantastic. And Jeremy, you got me with this trivia question the day of his major league debut, who were the Cubs last two first round pitchers to make their MLB debuts for the Cubs? Well, to start, to make a, to, to a make start. a start, to make a start for the Cubs goes all the way back to, uh, Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor, yeah, yeah. They... So it's been a, it's been a little while. Exactly. Is that good or bad company for Wicks? Yeah, you know, it, I like to say it's good name company to be in because those guys had at least pretty good peaks, if not necessarily great careers for the Cubs. So I think it's good name company. I'd say it's maybe poor historical company, poor poor you know time elapsed company to be in. So it's good and bad. Right, and, and I just want to clarify what that said. It was a, the last two first-round picks that made their debut as a start because Andrew Kastner, as Ronan Randall mentioned, has pitched for the Cubs, but he came out of the bullpen when he made his debut. But, yeah, I, you know, the success, we talk about that success, the early success that both Mark Pryor and, and Kerry Wood had, I'll look at it as a positive light. And I think Kerry Wood has a better career than most people think. In retrospect, when you look back at it, a much better career than people remember. They remember the injuries. I think they link it into the injuries that probably had a bigger impact on Mark Pryor. Kerry Wood, still very good major league career, both as a starter and then a late career surge there at the back end of the bullpen as well. Uh, Never forget 2008 and his role with that Chicago Cubs division championship. Well, we got news earlier this week that the Angels were basically putting their entire roster on waivers, like give or take a couple of guys here, and they went all over some big names in that mix too, Lucas Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez, Randall Gritchick, 
among some of the names of guys that were moving around here of the guys who landed in places. And it felt like the vast majority of that ended up in Cleveland. Jeremy, who's one guy that you wanted to come to Chicago, but just didn't ultimately make it to the Cubs. I'm going to go with the guy that I advocated for the entire offseason and the Cubs didn't sign. It was Matt, uh, Matt Moore, who probably wanted a little more. He, I said he was been lights out. I want him to come here. He was lights out in Anaheim. And Cleveland kind of stuck him. I'm okay, though, with Cleveland taking him. I think Cleveland took all three guys that I kind of was looking at, Giolito, Lopez, and Moore. I was like, those would probably be the three guys I would put a claim in on. Um, and they all went to Cleveland. And you know what? Good for them. Cleveland, go after Minnesota. Go try to fight back. You're still in it. I know you're 64 and 70, but make an effort. And you blocked all the National League teams from getting the three guys that I thought were the legitimate players that were put out there. So go for it, Cleveland. I'm rooting for you. Absolutely. You know, best outcome would have been the Cubs getting one, two, or all three of those guys. The second best outcome is the teams chasing the Cubs, not getting any of them. So big ups to Cleveland. That's what makes you the Guardians is the, the protective aspect of it. And yeah, I'm good with Cleveland getting them. That, that that Twins team is not good. That Twins team is not good at all. Reinforce your team, play your baseball, see if the Twins end up falling back, which they might, because again, that team is not good, and see if you can pull something out in that division. So I don't fault them at all, especially if the system allows it to, to allows them to go in there and just get whoever they want. Use the system, get your players, reinforce your team, play your ball, and see what you can do in this final month. So good for them. It's a crazy uh, kind of just this whole situation to begin with, because we don't have that August waiver trade deadline anymore. We don't have the revocable uh trade uh waivers like they used to prior to the pandemic uh where you would just see guys i mean we wouldn't see it because we didn't we don't have access to the the computer systems of the major league baseball but it would always be reported that there'd just be tons of guys out there on waivers all the time and they would get claimed and sometimes a team would let a guy go like alex rios sometimes a team would negotiate a trade and so and most of the time they would just pull them all back and because they were revocable you could do that and so we never really knew who was on waivers who wasn't it would be you get sources that somebody claims somebody on waivers but this is kind of kind of back to that where you have a team like los angeles the angels who they're out of it they're over the, the luxury tax right now they want to get under this is the last day uh, these guys could be playoff eligible they're like, hey, we got these guys. We're probably not going to be interested in re-signing them at the end of the season. Somebody might take a chance on them. We can get under luxury tax, put them out there. And I, I I, can understand why people, some people were frustrated that it's like, you know, a team just kind of giving up in your fantasy season and just putting all their players up and affecting the race. But uh, it's kind of interesting, you know, that there's that opportunity to still get talent at the end of the uh, at the end of August. And, hey, as we said, more props to Cleveland for blocking all the NL teams. Go for it, Cleveland. You know, Jeremy, you said we don't have access to the computer system. What if we did? I think that would be fun. You watch a guy like fall from team to team, like watching the NFL draft and watching a prospect fall as teams continue to take not him. I I'd, I'd enjoy watching that process, even though in reality, it would probably be like paint drying. Yeah, since they removed the waiver trades, we haven't really had a situation like this, especially because the years since they removed the waiver trade, some of them have been non-traditional. Um but yeah, we haven't really had a situation like this where a team has just rage quit on their season and put a whole bunch of desirable players on waivers for teams to claim um, just because, again, you know, 
big names have moved during the waiver period when that was still a thing, but you know, you still had to work out a trade or just give them away for nothing. Since that system has changed, we haven't really had this opening of the toy box for teams to just take as they please and you can't trade them anymore. So it's, it's new. Um, even if it is, you know, the same system and it's, I don't know that anybody expected the angels to just completely quit like that and shake up this pre September 1st time, but here we are. Well, the one thing I would say is, uh, there probably were more players out there throughout this waiver period in August than were reported, uh, obviously didn't get claimed. Um, and, and these are irrevocable waivers. So if there's a claim, they go, you can't, you can't take them back. Like, uh, as opposed to how it was before when they were re- revocable. Um, but yeah, there were players like the White Sox put out Mike Clevenger out there cause they don't want to pay his buyout, right? You right. know, $5 million or $4 million buyout plus the million he's owed at the end of the year. So the White Sox are like, Hey, maybe somebody out there wants Mike Clevenger. Nobody wanted one month of Mike Clevenger for 5 million, but you don't, you don't blame them for trying. Right. And right. Clevenger will still pitch for the White Sox cause you don't, they're not free agents. There's a whole other system out of there uh for the reasons why that is but they come back and so yeah it's just kind of an injury i bet you there were more names that did not get claimed that were not reported on that we're never going to know about that were out there probably uh randall grichuk also unclaimed and that's what you get for spelling your name wrong you son of a <laughs> well the one guy i really was hoping the cubs would get a shot at was lucas giolito and i know he struggled the last two years and kind of bad timing for him as he's coming up on free agency at the end of this year but I think there's stuff in there. And I do think the Cubs have had a lot of success getting the most out of pitchers. One thing I was thinking about with that is you need a little bit of time. And that's the one thing that you don't have on your side. You're not going to magically pitch a, you know, fix a pitcher overnight. But I think if Giolito was in the mix, was in the pitch lab, yeah, they could get something more out of that guy. Unfortunately, it's not the case and we're not going to see it. Maybe as a free agent, that'll be a guy that the Cubs will look at as a potential piece to add in the offseason. But for now, he goes to Cleveland and he's not coming to the north side. Lucas Giolito just never recovered from those ubiquitous radio commercials calling him the worst pitcher in baseball. Just never able to get over that. My, my, I, I agree with you. I would probably would have put a claim in with Giolito also just because the Cubs have had such issues, right, with their uh, starting pitching. I, I think they part of the reason why they kind of rela- waited on these kind of uh, moving up the, uh, excuse me, on a uh, Shane Green say, uh, was because they didn't know if they would get awarded a claim or not. And Shane Green needed a, a 40 man spot. But, uh, I agree with you with Gilo. But one thing about Gilito and Reynaldo Lopez is I love the fact that those two guys are attached at the hip. They don't, they go everywhere together. They were traded from Washington to the White Sox. They're traded from the White Sox to Anaheim. They're put on waivers. They're going to Cleveland. I hope they never ever play apart from each other. I hope they always stay together. I, I feel like it's like those old kind of like 1940s, like buddy kind of road trip movies, where, you know, where just be two guys going around. It's just Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez crisscrossing Major League Baseball and, and together, and they'll always be together, and I love it. It's exactly what I was thinking. It's like me and Randall. Yeah. Try as hard as Randall does to ditch me and get rid of me. He cannot find a way to shake me, and I'm locked there with you, Randall, for life. Randall, you're stuck with me for life. Which one's that's Giolito? Com- which one's Lopez? That's completely untrue. All I have to do is leave you at the 7-Eleven on Shermer. Uh, Jeremy, I'm thinking like the Sedin twins. Uh, sign, you know, signing the same contracts, playing on the same team all the way through their their junior career, all the way in the NHL. Uh, that's where I was going. I was not going anywhere of, of being attached to Ronan just because uh, I don't know that I'd be able to handle that completely. Yeah, I love it. Did I see Josh Donaldson on a minor league deal to Milwaukee Brewers. Now, is that uh, official? 
Is that official? It sounded like they were considering it. No, he was reported. Oh, I... It's reported. No, you're right, Ronan. It's reported. Uh, I think even Rosenthal reported it that Josh Donaldson. I know the Brewers reported it that Josh Donaldson signed a minor league contract with the Milwaukee Brewers. So he will be reporting to minor league, I guess, and trying to make the team. So he's been awful this year for the New York Yankees. He's up there in age in terms of big leaguers, 37 years old. The slash line this year, Randall, this is 120 plate appearances, 142 batting average, 225 on base percentage. He's slugging 430. And yet, I can envision Josh Donaldson haunting Randall J. Sanders. That's Milwaukee Brewer Josh Donaldson haunting Randall J. Sanders. Oh, he's he's an absolutely perfect shit. I'm sorry, an absolutely perfect fit from the Milwaukee Brewers in that he's not good, but he has the potential to be supremely annoying. So in that regard, he's a perfect fit. And even better, Josh Donaldson always been a very mouthy player. He's going to play for the Nashville Sounds so he can continue making his sounds down there in Nashville. So it's a perfect fit. And I completely believe he's going to be a fly in the punch bowl bowl somehow uh, in September this season. I, yeah, um, you know, that's that's former Cubs prospect, Josh uh, Donaldson. Josh Donaldson. Yes. He, I, I, he, he also has to work his way back. He is injured right now, so he is trying to come back from injury. When he was released, I almost sent it to the group. I was going to be like, you know, I, I would take a flyer on this dude. Now, I don't think he quite fits the Cubs because I, I don't think they need kind of as much. They don't have that need for uh, Josh Donaldson as the Brewers probably do. But I actually thought that's a perfect buy low guy for this time of year. I, He's hitting the ball. He's still hitting the ball really hard. His his numbers are kind of like you look at his Babbitt. It's just insane. It feels kind of fluky that he's been this bad. I think if Josh Donaldson is able to come back from injury and play, I I am scared of Josh Donaldson on the Milwaukee Brewers because I think he might have some big hits down the stretch, and it's gonna yeah, it's gonna piss off a lot of people. I I did, out of all the teams, I did not want to see Donaldson go to the Brewers. That was the one team I did not want to see him go to. But Jeremy, if you think the Cubs are that desperate for a third baseman, Matt Shaw just promoted to double A Tennessee. He played third base for them tonight. I'm pretty sure you could bring him up. And I don't know that he would be markedly worse than what's left of Josh Donaldson. So I, I'm very I, glad. I'm very glad that the Cubs are not that desperate. I, two things. One, I don't I don't I think there's still stuff in there. I think he's in the ball hard. I think he's. Oh, gonna, there's plenty of stuff in there, Jeremy. I don't know if we want to. You don't want to bring the boy home. You don't want to bring the boy to this rightful home on the, on the north side. Can't, can't say it's ever occurred. The Chicago to me. No, Cub. Let's bring back Sean Gallagher and uh, Eric Patterson while we're at it. Get the band back together. Well, it occurred to me when he was like the best player. Well, maybe Mike Trout, but not the best player in the American League. I was like, damn, we really traded that guy? I, he was so good at baseball when he was in Oakland and Toronto. Uh, even in, in uh, Milwaukee, or excuse me, Minnesota, he was very good. Hopefully he's not good in Milwaukee. But uh, I'm scared, Randall. I'm scared Josh Donaldson's going to have some major hits because I, I think there's still some things left in that bat. Josh Donaldson can be this year's September boogeyman. Check under your bed for Josh Donaldson going to sleep this September, especially because if he's down there, I have a lot of questions. Well, I want to pick your guys' brains on a couple of other notes across Major League Baseball. Uh, Any other Cubs things, though, that we haven't touched on that either of you think we should address before we look across the league? I'm just excited, like I said before, but uh, I I think we we have addressed this you know, but I do think like the bullpen has been such an unsung story for this Cubs team. And I, I just want to give them their props again, just because we, I feel like it gets overlooked because everybody always says like, you know, the bullpen is such an issue and every team has a, a bullpen of issue. But the fact this team has done so much with this bullpen 
that I just want to give them their props again. Advert, Mark Leiter Jr., who struggled a little bit yesterday, Julian Merriweather, even Michael Fulmer coming out there. I just want to give all those guys their props because they've been so good coming out of that pen. You don't win one nothing. You don't win 3-2 without in bullpen performances. And so I just want to give the bullpen their, their props again. They've They've done a lot this season with what we perceived to be very little starting the season uh, you know I, I brought up the 2018 comparison the last time we recorded what if what if we can make this a reverse 2018 2018 the cubs couldn't hold off the brewers jeremy you pointed out they had a five game lead going into labor day weekend in 2018 the brewers have a three game lead going into the friday of labor day weekend let's turn 2018 around and let's make it a new benchmark let's make it a 2023 so let's let's will that into existence this september I'd say that sounds pretty good. And uh, I uh, was chatting with some Cubs fans earlier today, and and they were a bit pessimistic about a division championship. And I said, hey, look, you got a month to go here. You got three more games against Milwaukee. The Brewers, I think, have some very good starting pitching. But I look at that lineup, and I go, man, this team can lose some games, too, down the stretch here. Hopefully the Cubs can get hot, beat up on the Rockies with the six games that they've got against Colorado still here in the month of September. But after the division is either decided that the Cubs win it or they're not going to be able to win it, then I'll worry about sort of the placement with the wild card. Just keep winning. Keep winning series. It's going to work itself out. But my eyes certainly on a division championship here as we roll into September. A couple of stories, though, across Major League Baseball. I want to get your thoughts on here. Uh, Jeremy, you texted the group earlier today, uh, middle of the afternoon. This is a direct quote. This is how Jeremy texts Randall and I. LOL. This Jerry, he's talking about Jerry Reinsdorf interview is bonkers amazing. And then he said nothing else to us. Give us the cliff notes here. What was bonkers and amazing about the Jerry Reinsdorf interview? Well, I did say they played the whole thing on WSCR. I meant context. (laughs) What what was said here? Why was it bonkers and amazing? Well, uh, so first of all, this was today, of course, the day that the – Chris Getz was officially named as the senior vice president and general manager of the Chicago White Sox, uh, their baseball operations. Uh, so Jerry spoke out. He, you know, he doesn't really speak out that much. And he invited a select group of media to his uh, office at, at on the in guaranteed rate field. And Bruce Levine recorded the whole thing. You know, I, I, they had the audio for it. And Jerry basically just spoke. Just spoke candidly. He he gave a little short kind of thing beforehand. Well, first of all, he spoke, and the very first thing he talked about was the gunshot incident. And I should be laughing, but at the guaranteed red field because it's such an absurd thing to have to even touch on, right? In a major league baseball, and Jerry's he said. Those shots came from outside the stadium. They did not come from inside the stadium. We all know what we don't know what to believe. He said that he made very clear that the police have not ruled out that it came from outside the uh, ballpark. And that's just kind of me kind of like, you know, Jerry's kind of pushing it that way. And he asked the cops whether or not is it 100 percent likely that it came They were like, well, there's a chance it didn't come from outside the ballpark. Well, they haven't ruled it out. So uh, I don't know. That was the first thing. But then he just went on introducing Chris Getz. And here, here's where it gets, it was in enli- it was enlightening. Cause like to just get a thought into the thought process of a guy like Jerry Reinsdorf, 87 years old, owned this team for 40 years. Just some of the things he said, he talked about how he compiled a list basically. Well, f- first he, he went around and asked everybody in the baseball operations department, like, how do you think things are going? Like why were before he fired Ricky and Ken, and he came to the decision that Ricky and Ken had to go. 
Uh, he talked to Chris Getz a lot during that, that time period. And he compiled a list. And he said he compiled a list of people he he wanted to interview outside the organization. And he had a list of people he wanted to interview inside the organization. And basically, he just came to the decision, Chris Getz is a good guy. Wow. He's probably just as good as all the people outside the organization. I know everyone outside the organization, so I don't need to interview anybody. It's Chris Getz's job, which I thought was kind of absurd. And his reasoning was because if I hire somebody outside the organization, it's going to take them one year before they can even do anything because they have to learn all the players, learn the situation, learn everything. And I can hire Branch Ricky was the guy. He kept mentioning Branch Ricky, Branch Ricky, who died in like 1955. <laughs> he kept mentioning him. And it was just absurd to think that like that was his go to. He can't he, that Chris Getz is the guy. I don't need to interview anyone else because I know everyone else. He knows everyone. And then he went on about how great he thought Chris Getz. He said Chris Getz is the only farm director he's had in 40 plus years of owning the baseball team that he thought was doing a good job. Which to me was absurd, number one, because you're the fucking owner, right? If you think someone's not doing a good job or what he said was teaching the game the right way. If you think someone's not doing a good job, you can do something about it. I know you don't want to meddle and be the guy owner that's, but if you don't think your farm director is doing great, like you can do something about it. So that seemed absurd to me. And then he was talking about how his favorite players are David Eckstein's and Eddie Stankies and Chris Getz was developing more David Eckstein's and that's what we want to do out here. So it's just all kind of craziness like that just bonkers things he talked about how he thought kenny and rick were doing were could still do a good job he thought they could turn this thing around kenny and rick he but he kept asking people and everybody said look at their record man they've been here for 10 years 20 years kenny look at their record it's time to move on and he said eventually it just everyone he asked basically said look at their record they are their record and he thought Okay, it's time to move on because everybody tells me it's time for them to move on. But I still think they could do a good job. He was like he was saying, and he said this year is the first year they've ever had a bad year. They haven't had a bad year before. They've only had you know one winning. They've only won more than eighty-one games one time in the last ten years. But according to Terry, this is the first ever bad year they've ever had. So I I don't know. Like you know, I I believe him. I think he wants to win. I think he he just doesn't know what he's doing. And he's 87 years old and it's just getting worse. And it's just, I would recommend anyone it's out there. I, he did have one hilarious shot at Mitch McConnell though, which was pretty hilarious. He lost his train of thought and he's like, I lost my train of thought. It's like a Mitch McConnell or something right now. And I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, I would recommend anyone that wants to hear what's going on with the White Sox. Listen to that Jerry presser or interview or whatever it was before the press conference. It was enlightening. Jeremy, all of that sounds far stranger than anything we could come up with in jest. I just have two things to add. One, to our listeners, if you're not familiar with the story, there was a shooting of some sort at a White Sox game about a week ago. You'd think a week later it would be old news. It is not. Pour yourself a drink and look some of this up because I don't know what to think about it. It's just that insane. And two, you mentioned, I guess you mentioned Branch Rickey, who is dead. as being. Yeah, Branch Rickey. Look, he hired Tony LaRusso, so let's not pretend being alive is a prerequisite for the job in the organization. Oh, he went on, off on Tony LaRusso. Someone asked Great. about Tony, uh, whether oh whether Tony's involved in making these decisions. And <laughs> Tony Tony was not involved in making any decisions. He won't be involved in any, making decisions. But Tony's an asset that if anybody wants to talk to Tony, we're glad to have Tony to talk to. Uh, but he also said that everybody rails on him for for hiring Tony LaRusso. Tony LaRusso won ninety three games. 
He won the division by 13 games. And last year he was sick. So you can't blame last year on Tony LaRusa. And he defended Tony and he said Tony should really like he's sick. Otherwise, basically, it's not gonna be like Tony would still be the guy. He's like, he's one of the smartest baseball people I know. And you can't you can't take anything away from Tony LaRusa. So he went off on Tony LaRusa. He was defending him pretty good. Yeah, boy, I've certainly called Tony LaRusa something that sounds like an asset, and not that exact word, but pretty close. So Chris Getz gets the GM job. Are we to believe that they're not going to fill the director of baseball ops? Is there anything on that? There was there was no real specifics from Chris Getz at all. I, I the Chris Getz inter, uh, press conference was interesting. He came out. He had a. I heard it described as this way. I think Sox Machine described it this way. You know how like NFL teams have like a, a scripted set of like fifteen plays. Right. And that's kind of their set. They're coming out. They're doing that. Well, Chris Getz came out and he had his little script he read and it was pretty solid. It sounded like he said all kind of the right things. I know I'm an internal hire. People are going to doubt me. I'm different, whatever. Then the questions started getting on. And every time they asked that guy a question, he had nothing. No specifics, nothing. And basically it sounded like, well, it was my first day, but that guy's been there for seven years. Right. And they asked him like, well, how are you different? And he kind of meandered for a few seconds and stopped. Like he didn't even give in-depth long answers. He just kind of said, well, well, I'll interview people and I'll look to fill in the gap. So the only thing that came out of this press conference is the fact that Patrick Rafal is coming back next year. Chris Getz sounds like Patrick Rafal is going to be very influential. Of course, they both came from the Royals. Um, and that Pedro, he's going to talk a lot to Pedro Fall about what they need to do next year. So we don't know. Jerry said that any decision that Chris Getz wants to make about hiring, including like if he wants to bring an advisor, bring somebody, that is all up to Chris Getz. Chris Getz is in charge now. And so he gets to decide whatever he wants. He did have this quote. He said, Chris Getz has all the autonomy except for things about money. He hmm. makes a decision about money. If Chris Getz wants to spend money, it has to go through Jerry. But if he wants to do anything else, he can. he's in control. Not my clowns, not my circus, and thank goodness for me. So probably a no-go on a director of baseball ops because, I mean, why would you hire the GM before the person who's in charge of the general manager? That'll save Jerry a couple oh, of dollars. Definitely not. No, yeah. Chris Chris Getz is the top guy. If he wants to bring like, yeah. a date so, Okay, so that was the question that oh, I sorry. had there. Well, that... you, I thought you meant like for his job, director. Uh, you mean like a president, like a guy above him. I, I misunderstood. Well, um, I, yeah, I mean, you know, most baseball teams have pivoted to this model where you've got the director of baseball operations and below that the GM. Kenny well, was yeah. in that – President Sorry? of baseball, president of baseball operations. Yeah, or director, whatever. Sure, whatever you want to call it. Um, but it's that role above the GM. The GM in a lot of organizations now is not that top dog when it comes to building up the infrastructure of the players, both majors and minors, and fielding the team. The Sox did have that with Kenny and Rick. If Chris Getz is the GM, then that top position's gone. That's, I guess, Chris Getz now. Yes, yes, that's correct. That's yeah, correct. yeah. Wow. I was sorry, I was a little confused. So, so, like I said, that'll save Jerry a couple of dollars. But I think if I were a White Sox fan, and just my final thought here, and we'll move over to the Angels, wouldn't you want to interview somebody from another organization just to bring some outside perspective to the White Sox? You're going to learn things, even if you've got Getz as your guy, and you're going to hire him. Why not bring in some smart folks with other teams, learn from them, get a little bit of an outside perspective? That's not Jerry. That's not Jerry at all. So. If I were a Sox fan, that would piss me off right now that you didn't at least, you know, steal some information from other organizations or how other organizations are doing it. But that's vintage Jerry. Well, Jerry knows everybody else in baseball. Why do you need to bring them in? He he can just reach into their brains and pull the knowledge out like Emperor Palpatine. So, again, just saving himself some time and effort there. Yeah, that was one thing he did say. He talked to other people outside, but 
Mass that sounded like Tony La Russa type people yeah. that he talked to. He did not interview any other candidates, and apparently he got permission from Major League Baseball to not interview any minority candidates because he's been so good at hiring minorities in the past that they gave him like an exception to not conduct any interviews. But yes, Jerry said, I made a list. I don't even know if I buy he made a list, yeah. but he said he knows everyone on the list. So well, I know I got the guy here. Cheap, cheap, cheap is what I'm hearing with everything that you're saying right here. And as a Bulls fan, yeah, par for the course here with Jerry. Uh, tough break for those fans on the south side. And be careful next time you're going out the guaranteed rate. Uh, the other story I want to get your guys' thoughts on was uh, awful news across Major League Baseball. So the Angels kind of push all of the chips in here at the trade deadline. They go out, they acquire a bunch of players. They are 7-18 and 18 in the month of August. They've fallen out of playoff contention. They've now placed half the team on waivers. Everything's falling apart. Shohei Otani now with an awful injury, tears his UCL. He's not pitching this year, will not be pitching next year. Very, very unlikely that he'll be pitching at any point next year. So the next time we're going to see the two-way Shohei Otani is not going to be until 2025. Gut-wrenching news here. Randall, what do you got on the Otani injury? Boy, it's just it's one of those things that rippled through the baseball world. There's not too many players who can – have an injury like that come out and the entire sport just goes, damn, Shohei Otani is one of those players just because a, he is of course something the likes of which we have not seen in a century and B because he is an impending free agent. And this throws a huge spanner into the gears of that free agency. Are teams going to pony up for uh, a two-way player who can't be a two-way player for probably until probably 2025 at the earliest. They probably will, but that changes definitely to probably. It messes with the probabilities. It messes with what that contract is going to be. Some team will get creative. You know, they'll they'll find a way to backload it very heavily. Or, you know, if he comes back and pitches X number of innings, but boy, what a incredible bomb to be dropped on what was going to be a momentous offseason that your two-way player, greatest player in the sport, is not going to be a two-way player. And teams are going to be paying for basically a really good DH for a season, if that, because, you know, he's not going to come back instantly from whatever surgery he needs. He'll come back quicker because you don't necessarily need the the full elbow to be a really good hitter. But yeah, boy, that that, that changes a whole lot of calculus. And I don't know that we're going to know how much it has changed everything until we get to free agency. But what a what a seismic wave went through the baseball world when that news broke. Yeah, it's sad to to see a guy like who's so special. Uh, have to go through this and go through it again. You know, this will be a second Tommy John surgery if he has Tommy John surgery. Um, it, it, the remarkable thing is he's still playing like Bryce Harper last year. Um, he's still going to hit. He's still going out there and doing the thing. And like Harper, you know, Harper missed five months. Uh, uh, he came back in May, right? It took him, five, excuse me, he didn't miss five months because no, not playing over the offseason, but it took him about five months from when he had surgery. He came back May 2nd, and it took him a while, to be honest, from coming back May 2nd for him to develop power. And, and of course, the power's come back. Like, this last month, he's been amazing, cranking balls uh the ballpark. But it, it took him until, I would say, until August for him to be kind of Bryce Harper that we saw. And, and I do think that Shohei obviously won't, if he does have surgery, it won't be as late as Bryce Harper did because Bryce Harper played through the World Series. I assume Shohei, if he has surgery, will probably get it at, as early as he possibly can in October. Um, and then probably kind of trying to ramp up, maybe miss a little bit of April because uh, Harper came back May 2nd. But he'd probably be right about opening day, I would think, if he's as quick as Harper. And I see no reason why Shohei can't do what Bryce Harper did. I mean, he's a crazy athlete as well. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I think he'll get paid. I, I do. I 
He's going to get make a ton of money. I still think he'll make $500 million. He's such a unicorn. Somebody's going to buy in. Somebody's going to believe he's going to come back and pitch. Uh, somebody's going to pay for it. Um, so I, I, I do think Shohei Otani will still be out there. I mean, Jerry said himself that it's not going to be the White Sox. We can tell you that much, which is against the rules. Tampering can't say you're not going to sign a guy. <laughs> um, but uh, Jerry said that. Uh, but uh, yeah, someone's going to be out there. Someone's going to pay for it. But it's sad. It's sad to see such a special player not have the ability to play. Uh, the way that we want him to play and the way that I assume he wants to play uh, because he is such a unicorn and it's something we haven't seen in over a hundred years. And and we didn't even really see it a hundred years ago because Babe Ruth wasn't really doing what he's doing uh, at the same time. Like he did it. So uh, I, I, it's just, I hope Shohei comes back because second Tommy John, we see Jameson Tyone coming back second time. John, uh, a lot of guys have done it. Nathan Eovaldi, um, but hopefully he's able to come back and, it's it's such a shame that uh, this spectacular season he's having is ending this way. Well, I saw some reports that, oh, this could be good news for Anaheim, right? Because if his value comes down, maybe they could stay in the mix. I'm not buying that. I still think Los Angeles Dodgers, the National League team, is probably the likely landing spot. And I do think his contract's going to start with the number five. Is uh, $500 plus million, I think, is where he's going to land. Um, but, yeah. Gut-wrenching. You hate to see injuries to good players. You hate to see injuries to once-in-a-lifetime type players. Uh, but, yeah, I'm buying that he's going to be able to figure it out and get back at it, and uh, we'll be rooting for him. I just hope it's on the north side of Chicago and I'd not like the that. National League in Los Angeles. I'd like well, that. Big, big series for the Cubs here before that. Randall? I want to toss it back before we wrap it up today. I want to bring it full circle. Ronan, you, of course, were the best man at the just concluded wedding. And I want to say you gave a very good speech. You could have gone Ooh. in a lot of different directions with that speech. Um, I think the bride is glad you didn't go in certain directions, but you had people laughing. You had people reacting. It was a very good speech. So I want to give you the appropriate props for that. Yeah, right on, Randall. I, I uh, felt powered by you being in the room there. I'm like, uh, I got to step up for Randall. I am not nothing if not moral the support. Room. It was about impressing you, Randall. And maybe that's why things came together. Absolutely. And I, I want to say that Randall did a spectacular job introducing the bride and groom for their first dance, which he did. Yeah, so, boy, that was a stressful one line on the microphone. I'm glad I got through it. Newly minted, they were. Yep. So Newly minted. Quote. Newly minted. That's right. It's a good, yeah. it's a good phrase. Uh, getting everybody out on the dance floor, which, by the way, I wish our audience could have seen Randall getting down on that dance floor. Um, I will note we have video and multiple audio captures of Randall introducing the newly minted couple, but I did not get any video of Randall getting down on the dance floor. I thought, you know, I let him have that moment. That it was too hot surface. to get video. You, you, yeah. The heat was yeah. coming off the dance floor that you couldn't even mm -hmm. film. And, you know, it'd get uh, multiple strikes on YouTube uh, watching him out there shaking yes. it. Um, but uh, don't, don't want to get us in trouble here. All right. Cubs, Reds, big series. Got a feeling there's going to be some offense this weekend in Ohio. We'll be back next week talking through it. Cubs right now, though, three back in the division, two up in the wild card as the second wild card team. We'll see where things go. We'll see you next time on Behind the Yellow Line.